Welcome back to the Quiet On Set podcast powered by Cineman. I'm Ian Graffin. As always, I'm joined by Lachlan Teeley. On episode 157, we remember that it was this week that Dune Part 2 was meant to be released. I would like to take a moment of silence to remember of its delay. Very sad, Lachlan. Uh, today we'll also discuss the uh, time travel slasher film Totally Killer, and I caught up on some shows like Loki, Gen V, Big Mouth, and Our Flag Means Steph, and also watched two Netflix films, Old Dads and Reptile, and Lachlan rewatched Blade Runner 2049. I feel like there's a bit of deja vu because uh, today we're recovering Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of a Flower Moon which we saw back months ago, but now it's finally released and we're going to touch on it because it's the big release of the week. Yes, full-on spoiler talks this time, no need to hold back. So let's queue up the intro and get into the show. All right, welcome back. Lachlan, it's a big week. Finally, we can talk about Scorsese's new film without holding anything back. We can talk about all the spoilers, about historic things. So I feel like you could easily get yourself spoiled because it's basically... Well, we could have been spoiling it this entire time, but we we came to a decision to keep our mouth shut as best we Mm -hmm. can uh, because it was many months until this film was coming out from Mm -hmm. Cannes. And here we are in October and it's out and reviews are out again. And, and guess what? It's still as good as what it was when it released. So uh-huh. uh, I'm glad everyone's pretty positive on it. And it wasn't just this weird film cult society in, in France, in, in a coastal uh, France <laughs> city uh, that yeah. enjoyed this movie and it was just them. So <laughs> It was a, certainly an interesting experience being like almost almost not getting to see it and the limited amount of screenings it had i think it only had like two so we, we got in we were lucky enough i know a lot of people didn't get to see it uh in gun uh, even if they were there so yeah it was it was it was a fun experience uh to see that in a room full of very excited scorsese fans it's still october and the month of horror is uh, about to come to a close and halloween is coming up um, and I just wanted to uh, do a bit of a promotion for an event that's uh, happening here in the northeastern part of, of Switzerland. And if you're from here, then you're lucky because uh, at the local cinema where I do part of the programming as well, we are doing eight hours of horror starting at 11 p.m. at night all the way through till the morning. Uh, we are showing four different surprise horror films and uh, I'll be there. Uh, if you want to um, come swing by uh, at the Cinema Luna in Frauenfeld. Um, the event is also happening in Luzern, in Zurich, and in Winterthur. Uh, we'll, link, we'll have some links below. So if you're in the area and if you're a horror fan, could I get you in? I know you're not the biggest horror fan, but would you attend something like that? Eight hours of horror films all night? Uh, yeah, let me just fly uh, 24 well, <laughs> hours to get over there first, and then okay. uh, eight Considering hours you would horror, already be then... in the area. Oh, sorry. Forgive me. I thought you were asking me to fly all the way over to no, Switzerland. No, no, no. That uh, would be a lot. Eight hours. Oof. I reckon I could do it. I've spent longer in a cinema. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of Khan, we spent eight oh, yeah. hours of horror. Well, four hours of documentary horror. Uh, what was that movie called? Uh, the the uh, the wind. Youth spring. Youth, yeah, youth spring. But there were also a bunch of trailers, a, a shit ton of trailers actually. And Lachlan, I, I I just linked you like the the trailer recap. Was there anything? Yeah. That uh, was interesting to you. There's a whole bunch. Well, 
I'm staying, I'm trying to stay clear uh, from some of these trailers because I'm not going to be able to see yep. any of them early, so I've got to watch the theatrical event. So I'm trying yep. to stay clear of some of them, but mm -hmm. uh, I did catch both the Ferrari and Napoleon trailer because I'm so, I'm so keen for Napoleon. Like, I'm very, yep. very keen for Napoleon. Ever since that first trailer, I think it really, really roped me in. And I wanted to see more of it as soon as I could. So I saw that yeah. and I thought that was wicked. And the Ferrari trailer I was interested in uh, just because I wanted to hear the accents. And I think it <laughs> also looks really good. Um, yeah. Accent wise, looks t sounds terrible. But uh, did you, you've seen this, right? You've seen Ferrari. I, yeah, I've seen it. It's played in New York, I think as well. And there's, there's a bunch of like CGI stuff that people are like calling out and basically tearing the movie apart. I, I, didn't really care for like the stuff that is a bit more goofy. I like the accents and all of that. I think you just got to go in, um, even if it's a pretty serious drama, just like having a good time. I think then yeah. you'll have a good time. Don't take it too seriously. All right. Well, then I'm excited for it. Yeah, yeah, you should be. But other than that, I've stayed clear of them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. I assume you didn't watch the Saltburn trailer? No, I'm, I'm keeping clear of that one. I've seen that one as well. Um, it's I wasn't the biggest fan, but I think it, it's got like a lot of fun sequences. But but it wasn't like. Do you think it's gonna be up my alley? Um, it's dude. I don't know. I I really don't okay. know because a lot of it is okay. like satirical humor. Um, that's yeah. really dry. So it could land for you as uh, uh like a really well, but maybe you'll hate it because I didn't didn't love some parts of it that were too in your face. Which is yeah. just Emerald Pharrell's uh, finale. Like her last film uh, kind of was the same way where like it really made the point clear by the end of it. And she kind of over overdoes it here as well. And I mean, Jacob Elordi is is British in this, which might be really pleasant to some people. Um, and it, it took some adjustment time for me to get around to that. Um, it yeah, it made me almost laugh out loud. But he, he's not hes not bad. He's pretty good. But, uh, no no real other big news of the week, that, that at least that I want to talk about. I don't know if you, you saw anything that do you want to bring up. No, I, I saw that it was like a milestone of like day 100 of the, the strike right, recently. Yeah. I think yeah, today. Yeah. And uh, that's it. That's the strike news, everybody. No more strike news. Ewan, what don't it? Google anything. Don't Google any strike stuff. We're no longer covering it. <laughs> uh, no, no update needed. They still haven't reached an agreement. Uh, there was recently a thing about like the costumes because they basically gave like, mm. you, should, you should not dress up um, as something, uh, yeah, a, a struck project in a costume. And um, there's a bit of drama around like, okay, so my kids can't dress up as well. It's it's uh, yeah it's a whole mess they should just figure it out man <laughs> figure it out at this point obviously standing in support with the with sack but still <laughs> figure it out man the big discussion time item of the week is tied to one of our greatest living directors still and essentially i just wanted to ask you a really simple question lachlan out of the 40 50 films that Scorsese has done what do you think is his best film you know, that's not a simple question, yeah? Yeah, it's a bit of, um, iron. You said I that mean, ironically. Iron. Yeah. I, I, fuck, man. I don't know, eh? His, his mm -hmm. best film. Um, geez, there, there's a lot. There's a lot when it a comes movie. to his, first of all, there's a lot when it comes to his filmography. There's a lot of them. Many decades. But they also range. Like, they yeah. really do. Like, we're talking about the guy who made Taxi Driver. And Shutter Island. Yeah. Silence. 
and also the last temptation of Christ. And I can tell you for a fact that these are all very different films. Now, we know that he's a gangster film director. He's done an amazing job in that genre, Goodfellas, Casino, uh, Departed Irishman. Like, these are all incredible films, mm. and people reference his stuff all the time. More recently, Joker is just the king of uh, king of comedy and the ta- and taxi driver as one film as a massive homage to Scorsese's work mm. but there's just oh man I don't know this is I'm stalling for time because I'm trying to <laughs> trying to go through my head hang on how about I do this yeah. I've got his film and letterbox here let me go to Martin Scorsese's letterbox page film directed and my highest rating my highest rating is uh oh I haven't oh have I not rated any of them no, 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 I have. It's just not popping up. Uh, my highest rated would be Taxi Driver, uh, Shutter yeah. Island, because they're both yeah. uh, four and a half for me. For, and five. for me, it's yeah. For me, it's a six-way tie with uh, with my highest rated, which I all gave like a four and a half. I used to have Shutter Island as a five star because I think right around the time that that was out on like Blu-ray or DVD, I I think it was pretty much the first Scorsese film I've seen. And it really blew me away and was like one of my favorite films for a long time. And obviously now in, I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing film. Um, and I think it's, it, it's the one that is also got him like the, a bit of more of the, like the, the Academy uh, acclaim, right? The, the one that he got an Oscar for. Mm. And then now it's kind of been looked down upon because he's such an antithesis to receiving these awards because he doesn't love to be a part of that system anyways. So it feels like it's like, oh, you like Shutter Island, the one that's maybe not the greatest, but he wants something for it. I wouldn't say that's his best, but it's a really strong contender for it. I haven't seen The the Departed in a while, but I think that one is amazing too. I recently watched Raging Bull for the first time, really complex character study of, like, just just not a a terrible guy. Uh, But it's so interesting um, how he does that, similar to, like, the stuff that he does in Taxi Driver. I think for me, it is still between the, like, the most popular ones, Goodfellas and The Wolf of Wall Street. I'd probably have to pick between one of the two. So going through yeah. these films, I haven't rated a lot of them because most yeah. of them I watched pre-getting Letterboxd. So yeah. the, the only ones I've, I've, I, I've at least logged with a rating are ones that I've watched whilst having Letterboxd. Um, however, The Departed is the only one that I've liked on right. letterbox of his films <laughs> okay, okay so i don't really like a lot of films on letterbox because i i leave that as like a like there's five star and then there's oh wait no i liked wolf of wall street as well uh like yeah. those those two i guess would be my highest my favorite because they're the ones that mm. i've liked that's my highest like rating on letterbox is a liked movie so for me, I do have a couple blind spots as well. Yeah, so so for you, what do you say? It's it's Wolf of Wall Street and uh, The Departed. Wolf of Wall Street and The Departed. Yeah, I, probably like if there was, we're not doing a bracket uh, here because it's you know there's fifty movies or fifty seven if you include all of the other. I guess there's a bunch of short films in here. There probably would be like around forty something in here that would be just features. I guess I'd have mm. to count. Um, but I also have a couple of blind spots for him. I've only seen like 14 of his movies uh, in total. Um, like The King of Comedy, Hugo, After Hours, Aviator, uh, Silence, Cape Fear, uh, The Age of Innocence, The Last Temptation of Christ. They're all movies that I haven't seen. 
So, so I do have a bit of a, a catch-up game to to do with him. I wanted to uh, actually before the Killers of the Flower Moon give them some time, but I just didn't get around to it. But yeah, Wolf of Wall Street did the part in Goodfellas. I think would be uh, among uh, his best, and that's pretty fair to say. Uh, in a recent interview with GQ, um, he once again got got asked the question, and uh, in the interview, the interviewer feels kind of guilty about asking him. Um, like the question that he's sometimes get li- gets like uh, dragged across like the media scape of like ooh this director is so elitist and he hates like Marvel movies and stuff like that. Uh, but he brought <laughs> it up again um, and to bring some context to it, there was a quote that I found really interesting when talking about like these superhero movies and and he said the danger there is what it's doing to our culture because there are going to be generations now that think movies are only those. That's what movies are. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that is a bit, to me, also a, a sentiment that I share that like, I, I get why they're popular and I get why they're great, but it's also like doing something similar to us, like social, certain social media things are. It's just like the way that we consume things, which doesn't put the blame, I'd say specifically on individual people who make these or maybe even, not even the studios or whatever, because they are just led by money do- like the dollar signs of where that leads it's then the larger thing with with uh with our system and how we i guess kind of tick as 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 people um that we kind of are, are driving into this mind-numbing piece of, of nothingness overall not to say that like if you watch a scorsese film that has ultimately like an infinite amount more substance and you're like enriched and you're you're a cultured and uh well-educated person not but it's that Everyone is kind of doing that, and it's not just the niche that consumes these artists' films. It is to me a bit disappointing. What do you think about like this recent uh, "movies are dying" quote from Scorsese? I think that in the the limelight, the 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 mainstream cinema is not dying. That's where it's thriving for money. That's the yeah. thing. But Scorsese has never been a blockbuster director. Oh uh, yeah. In my opinion, so I mean, yeah, he's not famously, you know, he's in a weird spot. His films aren't money makers; they're not blockbusters. But Mm. and and maybe that's where it's coming from from a place of people aren't seeing his films; they're seeing Avengers over over his. But for me, I I don't believe cinema is dying like wholeheartedly. I don't believe cinema is dying. I just think you have to go. And really put yourself out there to find where cinema is, is right now. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he later says that in the interview as well. You really have to fight for those roots, those grassroots to still be able to grow. And it's still there. It's just like not as much in the center as it was maybe 40 years ago as well. I, I just think that right now money is poured into particular projects that are yeah. going to try to get a return on investment. But I still think that there are people out there who are getting money for their their passion projects after proving themselves Mm. we've always had directors who do the one for you one for me mentality and we get a lot of really exciting stuff we get a lot of crap but we get a lot of really exciting stuff and i think there's particular uh companies out there neon is an example a24 is an example who are giving funds to uh directors all around the globe with great visions and presenting really awesome stories and giving us uh, people a voice, giving some people a voice to really get out there. The Safdie yeah. brothers, 
Like they they really came out of their entire like indie shell and now some are starring in the biggest blockbusters of the year and some of them are just one of them's decided to kind of sit back a little bit and not go around that acting route so it's really interesting that that the cinema is dying thing is is not so much cinema is dying i think it's more an oversaturation of content there's yeah. so much there is so many movies now mm-hmm. you, you you really struggle to watch every movie that comes out in a year Yes, I'm the perfect example for this. I think I've seen like 700 yeah. movies this year or 600. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy what's out it's there. Crazy. It's crazy. It's not all the same as well. It's like there's a lot of variety in there, especially at film festivals. But the week to week, like what you said with like those certain studios supporting smaller artists. On the other side of this, you know, you do have someone. I feel like Scorsese was never someone who had to do the one for you type of thing, weirdly enough. Uh, but. Oh, no. In recent years, um, not A24 or Neon, they couldn't afford the $200 million of Killers of the Flower Moon or $250 million or something that was um, The Irishman. That's Netflix and it's Paramount that gave the mm. funds to this. And for a certain type of director, which I feel like you could count them on one hand, you, you got maybe Nolan, you have, I don't know if even James Cameron would, would be a part of, I, I guess he is. Uh, that he could he do doesn't make enough he movies. Wants. He doesn't make yeah. He doesn't make enough movies, right? Um, n- not even Spielberg, I'd say, is like in the blank check area. It's really just Nolan and in for the last two films, Scorsese. Um, but not even Nolan. Nolan got rejected, right? Um, <laughs> Fairly recently, he had to switch studios. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, I, I guess he he's well. I think he's switching back because they gave him uh, quite a lucrative deal. And for the most recent one, there was a profit sharing thing where he retained a bunch of the uh, first up money that is grossed in the box office. So mm. uh, I think I think for him because he's one that's not like God fucking damn Tarantino is so incredibly cringe. Got gotta say it here again and not 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 to get political because we don't really do that here because we focus on it in the but god that that dick is an asshole um that dick is an asshole yeah i don't like tarantino at all uh wait what? <laughs> i lost my train of thought god damn it nolan um nolan is someone who wants to keep going there's rumors that he might do something with with james bond right he's got a plethora of ideas that uh, he'll, he'll do movies about in the future. He doesn't want to like have this uh, so stuck up about like how he's received and his legacy uh, is going to be. He's gonna keep making movies, and I think um putting that money back to him is not for like the greed of like accumulating wealth, but it's having more independence of what he does in the future. And um, the more we get that, that it's not bound to a studio that's just like making terrible decisions that are purely based on what they think is good and them being detached from maybe some of the more passionate cinephiles and moviegoers, uh, you do get those more mainstreamed projects that are getting greenlit over some other stuff. Those are, those are my two cents and the hate on Tarantino. I'm sorry, but it's just, yeah, I don't like him. <laughs> his movies are good, but I just don't like it. I don't like him as a person. Movies are dead. Movies are dead. It, Welcome back like, to the Quiet On Set podcast where we do TV shows. The the whole like basis of the interview is very much centered around like Scorsese's feeling about his own mortality and mortality overall. So I think that's why like it, it, like cinema is dying. That that's where that kind of came from. 
uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, dude's so, old. He, well, old bloke. Yeah, he, he's he's eighty, but I mean, Michael Caine just retired, and I think it wasn't he like ninety. Uh, yeah, so, he was ninety. So yeah, he's got another ten years in uh, in him. He he can do some more. If Hayao Miyazaki can can crank out another one, then yes. Let's let's get two more Scorsese films. But yeah, let's get to uh, the stuff that we've been watching this week. What we've been watching. <laughs> Great segue. So, Lachlan, I think there's something that rarely happens. We have an overlap of something that we both watched this week. And it's uh, yep. Totally Killer, the um, prime exclusive uh, slasher film with time travel elements. What made you watch this? Because, uh, yeah, you're not like someone who just goes Tanika. onto like a random... Oh, okay, never mind. Explanation. <laughs> Got yeah, there you go. That's all it was. Yep. Basically, she was just like, I want to watch that movie that I've seen on TikTok. And <laughs> she, she like her. broadly described the movie. And mm-hmm. I was like, is it that totally killer movie? And mm-hmm. she goes, yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. I've, I've, seen, I've been seeing it on Letterboxd because um, it was popping on the front page for being so popular this week. And I was like... Yeah. yeah, it's cool. We can watch it. Mm. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's much to say. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie. Um, it's fine. I don't um, think it's, it's bad. It's a movie. I don't think it's bad at all. I thought it was okay. It's, it's pretty entertaining. I, th- I think it starts really bad, but then the more you buy into it, the more fun it gets. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I didn't like how, how quickly it was like, all right, this is Halloween. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, cool, sweet. No worries, it's Halloween. It's just Halloween, and it's but time ta- travel. And then it's time travel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, oh, they, it's like they're making Back to the Future jokes. And then it just became Back to the Future. And I was like, okay, interesting. If I'm totally honest, the middle part of the film is the best part of this film. Uh, the opening sucks. The ending is kind of mid. Uh, but the actual middle part, the, the, the meat of this film is like, really fun and i had a great time i'm not gonna lie yeah. that was the best part but everything else kind of let me down it's super b grade and that's the best part about it yeah and uh if you can just buy into it you'll have a much better time than i did but it took me a while to buy in so that's all i have to say there's not really much to talk about i for, for, like personally i got in and i got out it, it's only a short film it's only like one hour and 45 it's like, an hour, like 100 minutes I think I think it's pretty entertaining to have like the clashing, you know, twenty twenty three perspective with like, you know, the late eighties and uh, mm. like that type of stuff. I think is 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 the part that's in the middle the most. And those jokes are sometimes like the, how how stupid every character is is kind of funny. How, yeah. how just ignorant and dumb they Over are. Over the top. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. Um unharmful i just i just wrote in my review uh it's interesting that liana uh liberato always dies first in these i i, I had fun though i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie yeah. i i there were times where i was smiling mm-hmm. and um and i just it goes over the top quite a lot and and for me that was exciting yeah and I, you know for, i'm totally honest uh we watched two horror movies back to back and i'll tell you what the other one was yes and out of the two one of them is aspiring to be the other because mm-hmm. of how meta it is towards not only horror movies, but also to like the eighties and like yeah. the, the film, the jokes of how misogynistic and, 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 and just overall how bad the eighties were for particular 
sex, race, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That joke gets really old very quick. Mm. And I found it quite funny the first couple times. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now it's getting a bit on and on how it's just poking fun of that. But yeah, uh, for me, for me, the, like the film was, it was, is fun, but yeah. Yeah. There was also, Fuck, did I like it more than I thought? Oh, I, have to <laughs> I don't my know. Rating. Well, what did you think about the other slasher that you watched this week? What scream four? Yeah. <laughs> first time watching. Um, no, no, I've seen it before. Wasn't there like one that you hadn't seen? I guess, I guess for scream six, you ended up watching scream four, right? Yeah. I, I watched all, I've seen all the screams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I watched, I watched Scream 4. Same thing. It's, it's one that, uh, Tanika hasn't seen. So it was her pick. It's better on, it's better by itself than it is when you watch it with all of them, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have as much fun with Scream 4 as I did with Totally Killer. I thought Totally Killer was a lot of fun, but I could see where it was, it, it, like people, I could see where it was trying to be. Scream mm. 4 is in a weird spot and the film is trying to be like Scream, uh, with Totally Killer trying to be like Scream with how meta it is, but. Yeah, I, again, Totally Killer is the better film of the two, in my opinion. Um, I thought that was a lot more fun, but yeah. yeah. There was like a, there was a reference to Scream as well. It's like, oh yeah, it could be like Scream, uh, Scream with like two killers. And then, uh, yeah, well, I don't want to then... spoil Totally Killers. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, by the end of this, uh, after Tanika chose two films, did you watch Blade Runner 2049 by yourself or did you make her see it? No, I watched Blade Runner 2049 earlier in the week. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> I was meant to watch uh what was what's the movie? Uh Court uh Oh uh, the Court Marshall Marshall Kane Kane Marshall Marshall's We are Firemen um that Bridgkin. That movie That one. Yeah, that one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um instead I decided to watch uh Blade Runner 2049 on 4K. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's also worthwhile thinking. I think it's just like Kevin who's been um pushing you into the direction of, hey, I keep checking your letterbox and you still haven't watched that movie. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ, man. I, I, it, for whatever reason, when I have to watch, not have to watch a movie, but when, when people tell me to watch a movie and I have the option to not watch it, I can watch something else instead, like Blade yep. Runner. I'll, uh, I'll usually go for my comfort choice and I rewatch Blade Runner. Yeah, I, what can I say? Blade Runner 2049, it's an incredible movie and uh, I absolutely... I love it, and um, as always, when going into some of these films, uh, I haven't seen it in a little bit, yeah. and you pick up on some stuff sometimes when you haven't watched it in a while, but for me, if someone's like, hey, you should go watch this movie, I will go, sorry, did you say Blade Runner? I'll go rewatch it, of course. Did and you... I have it on 4K. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? Did you um, pick it up uh, because we've been playing Cyberpunk uh, again, like the DLC? Is, is that why? You had like, no, no, I yeah. have it on 4K. Oh, you know. got it on 4K, that's why, why you yeah. want it. Okay, okay. It that's basically it. lives, so I have all of my, my, my DVDs in like drawers, mm -hmm. but it's the only one that lives outside the drawer so I can always access yeah. it. <laughs> like it's, it sits on the right side of my tabletop for my TV next to the PlayStation so that if I ever want to watch it, I just <laughs> plug it in. Oh, and I watched another thing. I forgot yeah. to put it down. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to because I didn't finish it. I'm halfway through season two of The Bear. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm back. up to the hour long episode. <laughs> Is that episode? Well, the. It's like episode six. Six. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Five yeah. or six. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good show. I'll let us know what you think about it. Uh, the whole season because I think there's a big makes episode me hungry. Coming up. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes me so hungry. It's, uh, yeah. And anxious. Last season made me anxious, but this season's making me hungry. That's all I have to say right now until the season's over. Yeah. I think the next one is, is like the one that people talked about the most. Okay. So, yeah, you're in for a I've got a six-hour flight tomorrow, so I'll, I'll, I'll watch it on the plane. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's all you've been watching, Dan. Um, I watched some stuff, uh, as always. Yeah, uh, you did. Out in theaters, I forgot to talk about it last week. Uh, Fremont, um, or Fremont. It's actually Fremont. It's just a town in um, Southern California. That's where this takes place. It's about like a, an immigrant um, from, I think, Afghanistan who has some kind of trauma that she, that she works through but um, works in a factory where they make those, um, not lucky lucky charms, what are they called? Like the fortune cookies. That's, that's what they're called. And she uh, kind of slides into the position of writing these fortune cookies. It's really like um, stationary, uh, just like back and forth conversational thing. Uh, where you're just like observing um, people. It's in black and white. And uh, Jeremy Allen White, who's also in The Bear, also stars in it. Um, I think having him second billing is a bit misleading because it's basically just in the movie for like 10 minutes at the end. <laughs> He's not really a part of the, the whole story at all. You kind of get get catfished there. Yeah, that's out in theaters here in, in Switzerland. And I forgot to mention it last week, but it should still be playing. Um, and may, maybe it's even out on VOD soon worldwide. But out now, uh, I watched that little thing that Disney put up for the anniversary, the 100 year anniversary, Once Upon a Time, uh, a studio. And it's, it's the best thing Disney has put out this year, sadly. Uh, it's like a, like a crossover between all of the different 3D, 2D properties, animated, just like coming together. And it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Um, looks decent. This is the one with... Um... Uh, Robin Williams' voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's in up, yeah. uproar about. Yeah, cool. Thought so. I didn't sound like him for some reason when I heard it, but uh, I, I guess I guess it was. Maybe they, maybe they re-edited it to get it out. That would be typical. Uh, a very Disney, Disney thing. To yeah, do. it would be a very Disney thing to do. Um. So, uh, anyway, speaking of uh, Scorsese, later today, I uh, watched uh, Old Dads, <laughs> the uh, directorial debut from Bill Burr. Uh, that's out on Netflix, and it was um, very much like the type of, I guess, this comedy shtick, which is calling out uh, PC culture, I assume. I've never watched his stuff. He's just not really that appealing to me as a comedian, and I think it comes from a place of being aware of the criticisms of that, but then he puts it to the hyperbole of all of these like unlikable millennials and, and uh, um, Zoomer people uh, as like uh, Gen X himself and he basically gets called boomer a bunch and it's sometimes funny but maybe i don't know how how self-deprecating this film was if it was then it's a better film than than it ultimately is if you read it just as as it comes off but yeah it's not really that funny um I don't know. Are you more familiar with Bill Burr? Have you have you watched any of his stand up? Uh I've seen some of his stuff and I do find some of his stuff decently funny, but I'm I'm not a big I'm I'm not a big stand-up guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the thing. I, I don't like watching stand-up. No. I like going to stand-up. I think it's better in person because of the environment. I just don't find stand-up on a 2D screen that exciting. Maybe have a 3D TV. Maybe that would work. But for me right now, no, 2D. Yeah. I don't watch a ton of stand-up. I think there's one uh, about to come out, uh, someone who's in, been in podcasting and in social media for like 10 years now, Noel Miller. 
has one coming out literally on the day this episode comes out. So that's what like one. Well, well, check it out. But I, I, I don't really watch uh, a lot of them myself. Um, but yeah, then it's because you don't like laughing. Yeah, you, you I, hate comedy. I love to just be sitting here alone in my sorrow and crying. Yes, I don't like any other state of being other than um, of the post post after sun state. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this earlier this week, someone like po- reposted a clip from After Sun. Um, just like the ending scene, and it was like it's so. Uh, and he reposted like a post that was that was posting it right, Twitter Meta or X Meta, and it was like, oh, it's so cruel to repost this. And I was like, you reposted it as well, and now I'm watching it. So, fuck <laughs> you. Uh, but yeah, it's just sharing the pain. Anyways, Reptile, uh, like a crime thriller uh, with Benicio del Toro and uh, Justin Timberlake and Alicia Silverstone. Um, pretty thrilling, like. Uh, case of corruption and like a murder and then a bunch of stuff gets unraveled i think benicio del toro really holds this together i'm not a big fan of justin timberlake as an actor and the whole time i was like wondering if you know how dare you coming from a boy band lead to acting if like uh if that's ever in the cuts for like harry styles if he's just like a carbon carbon copy of justin timberlake's career later on and then i was thinking who's the Mila Kunis equivalent that he could make like a raunchy, um, pretty bad uh, sex comedy with, and um, that's that's why my train of thought stopped. So choo choo. Next up, a pretty decent thriller on Netflix, uh, Reptile. If you're interested in thrillers and crime stuff, I get. I guess it's fine. It's pretty pretty decent. Just quick thoughts, uh, because uh, I haven't finished all of these shows apart from Big Mouth season seven, which did have. Uh, a, I thought like Big Mouth had a new season this year, but turns out that was just Human Resources. The spinoff show had like a new season uh, yeah. this year, and this one is the one in between. Like the first episode is literally called uh, "Big Mouth is going to high school, but not for nine more episodes." So they go to high school in the first episode, and then they go back to middle school to graduate, and then like the back end of the season is just like summer break. So in season eight, they're going to high school. Um, just just milking this at this point, and it's uh it's it's alright to do an international episode where they like having a bunch of different stories, and one of them is in Australia, and it was by far the funniest one. I you probably hate it because it's like it's obviously like putting it to the hyperbole of of like Aussie stereotypes, but I found it really funny. I was like, okay, this is obviously them like blatantly testing um regions and who would respond the loudest if they were ever to, to do like a spin-off uh they were also like what, are they, what, are they, what was the international episode what was what was what, how um, does it how does it work what how does the joke work for it's, australia it's basically uh like it's after they graduate they do like an in-between episode on the 4th of july they come in like oh it's the 4th of july episode and then they're like nah we're gonna do something else uh we're gonna do international and they don't do one on america but it's the fourth of july episode for them i don't know it's, it's like that's okay. the premise yeah they do like uh, they do south korea they do uh what did they do um brazil i hope they realize if they do like an australian big mouth where it's kids in primary school all it's gonna be and this is like super not funny to anyone outside of Australia, but it's basically just going to be four square slash down ball and that's it. Yeah, yeah. 
because that's all I that's all kids do in primary school. No, no, no uh, discoveries of their body or anything like Big Mouth is focusing on just playing Foursquare. Well, like all of the revelations yeah. are like within the game. And of the Foursquare. lack of sex education in school. That's the other thing that they, they should do. That'd be pretty funny. Uh, I don't think they're going to make a spinoff, but it's just, like that sequence was like pretty funny to me. Um, it's, it's overall a, like a, a pretty mid show that has worn out. It's, it's, it's welcome, um, but it, it's funny at times. It made me laugh, but uh, I don't think it's like worth binging seven seasons for this. It's had its time. Rick and Morty also just started, and I, 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 I don't think I like the show that much anymore, but it's like also, I think, season, season seven. But yeah, there was also Loki season two, which I thought was pretty bad so far. Uh, Gen V, uh, the, the boy spinoff. I think this one's pretty sick. Uh, I actually quite like it. Um, it's pretty much like on the same quality as the boys was, in my opinion. Our flag means death, and that one's all right. That's uh, like Taika Waititi-led show where they're all gay pirates. Um, and it's, it's funny at times um, how over the top it is, but ha just having seen One Piece, I'm like, I, I got my dose of pirates uh, for, for this year. I don't think I need like um, anything else here. It's, it's, it's all right, it's, but it's not like the funniest thing ever, and it's like a pure comedy. Uh, but yeah, that's all the stuff that I've been watching. So uh, let's get to Killers of the Flower Moon, the latest from Martin Scorsese. So uh, yeah, Lachlan, could you read us the uh, logline for the movie? When oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. Yes. Again, deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu, I've read this before. like 20 times at this point. Three hours and 26 minute long uh, movie is out in theaters now uh, where they have place for this really overlong showing. I think we are going to stay clear mostly of the discussion. Um, Lachlan, do you think this movie is too long? Because it's a Scorsese film. I think it earns its runtime pretty well. And from the reception so far... Uh, I don't know if it's going to come down as more people are going to see it, but it's been stellar so far with an average rating of 3.4 on Letterboxd, uh, 8.3 on IMDb, and a staggering 90 on Metacritic. That's really high because those critics, they are pretty harsh sometimes. It was made on a budget of uh, roughly $200 million and was uh, distributed and produced by Paramount Pictures. Now, this review will be uh, full-on spoiler-filled, so if you want to get our non-spoiler thoughts, well, go back five months. We already did this a while ago while we were in Gun. We also have a separate uh, non-spoiler solar review so that you can go check out. But here, we're going to get fully into it. Um, the first time that DiCaprio and De Niro are on the same screen in a Scorsese film, and I had to double-check that because I was like, wait, yeah, that actually never happened? And I guess it never did. Not having had the chance to revisit it, unfortunately, uh, before the recording, you're going off the memory of, uh, well, five-month-old five memory of the film. What stayed with you after, after these five months? Uh, it's still one of the strongest movies of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yep. that stuck with me. Um, yep. It's an it's a incredible, incredible film. You've got it written in the show notes, and this is my biggest takeaway, is that mm -hmm. the editing... Oh, it's yeah. still spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that the film itself, from a structural standpoint, it, it, it's it's nothing without how the film's been put together on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. That is the 
biggest takeaway from this film is how the film has has been finally put together. And I I I I have to admit there's a lot of things that keep you hooked in from a scene level. I think that DiCaprio and De Niro do a, a wonderful job. Um, Lily Gladstone does a wonderful job. It's interesting how no one since the film's release has kind of popped on that Lily Gladstone Oscar hype train once again. That was kind of a Khan uh, exclusive where that film came out and everyone was excited for Lily Gladstone to get an Oscar nomination, but now the film's kind of out. Well, the, well I, don't, I don't think... I think they're still hyped about it. I'm still confused because she's not competing in... Uh, supporting, she has put herself up in lead, which I don't get. Yeah, I don't think she's a lead in this. She's a lead in the story overall because she's like the focus. You know, it's mm. a revolves around her and her family. But in the narrative sense, I feel like she fits a bit more in supporting. Um, yeah, and I don't really agree with that and decision. But yeah, that that there from a from a hierarchical standpoint, it it really does go. Um, in terms of what keeps you hooked in on this in this story is the editing, acting, uh, score slash uh, music uh, to the film. I think that was also really, really well done. That's what keeps you in. The, the story itself, it, it does unwind and it does get a little bit messy uh, from memory. And, and I think that's kind of like its weakest point is how the film's kind of brought together because... Unlike Ewan, Ewan has read the story and it is a different, at least the original novel, it is a different point of view that the the film is telling. Exactly, um, yeah. Compared to the original story. Yeah, because initially, you know, uh, uh, DiCaprio was supposed to be cast um, in the role that ends up going to Jesse Plemons as Tom White, the FBI agent, because essentially the the way that the nonfiction novel works is that it's basically the conversations between Molly, uh, Lily Gladstone's character, and him as they kind of slowly unravel who is doing the killings. And even going into the film, I feel like, I, I mean, I didn't read into it even after like uh, reading the novel. I was like, I don't want to know who plays who. I kind of want to go in as fresh as possible. And then it, it, it establishes the characters uh, enough where you're like, you, you can see how Ernest is kind of dragged into all of this by circumstance. I think it's not really giving us a breakdown of how he evolves into a person who's capable of murders. And I think in the editing, that's where it really shines, where it like holds back on showing us that he actually does this, because then we associate him a bit more with what he's done. But we just see the repercussions, but we kind of held back on him actually doing the murders, but he's certainly behind them, right? Um, and I think that's really mm. smart because it ultimately paints this picture of how nonchalantly they are just doing racial murdering, you know, ba- based on based on just opportunity and, and greed and everything and how openly they talk about it. Like under the surface, all of the stuff that's there that they also bring up that they dare to like exploit them. I just grew really frustrated while watching the movie that they're not more aware and do something about it. But that's just a part of the uh, like oppressionistic um, system that they live within that they don't really have that much opportunity to go out of it. But uh, I, I just found it an uh, incredibly complex film that obviously took a lot of care of uh, getting the right kind of representation, like leaving the door open to have a, a dialogue between director and um, the, the writing of what to do with the Osage people, like even getting stuff um, like the... Um, 
like the garments and all of that getting that right to i think there was like uh, uh i forget what what it was but there's like thousands of or like a thousand of these um like things that uh, that they wear over their shoulders it's not a scarf but it's like more than that uh they were like all created by actual osage people um and i i think it's it's just um a a really nice touch of of getting the stuff right and i think it it kind of shows the more you hear about it i didn't really feel it all the way through in the movie but but yeah it's just a very entertaining film as well and it's like sometimes oddly funny as well there's like uh just everything in that it just keeps it flowing i didn't really feel like it, it staggered through any through throughout any of its runtime maybe apart from like the scenes individual scenes that i didn't like i think that when uh oscar winning um <laughs> brendan fraser comes in uh it kind of comes to a halt for me because still in gun they had the same thing uh with that weird audio i don't know if it was supposed to be uh like intentional that it was like this echoey you couldn't almost hear the people it's it sounded some weird audio issue that they had like recording that but it clearly was intentional because they didn't like change anything i just didn't like that part of the movie so it made me more aware of like where i'm at in the story but other than that i think it's a pretty flawless uh film overall just like on a technical standpoint and from performances as well i think that uh, the the part that sucks for me story-wise is that when Jesse Plemons' character kind of comes into it, the film sort of changes and mm. you, you kind of feel that his character is important to the story, the narrative, but there is no importance given to him. It still focuses mostly around Leo and, and Robert's performance as Ernest and William. And, and that kind of sucks because, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's quite a capable actor mm. and it definitely feels like, even though I haven't read the novel it definitely felt like his character had a major importance in the trailers as well, a major importance to the, to the story. And he is kind of just at the end and he kind of acts as this mediator more than anything else between uh, Leo and, and the FBI. Um, I think, and, and that yeah. kind of is unfortunate. I think he comes in like around 90 or 100 minutes into the movie. It's not like as late as, as I thought it was. Because I, on my last rewatch, I did check the time to kind of see when he comes in, and I think I think that's right. Uh, so, but he still doesn't really. He still isn't given much to do. Exactly, as a person, a part of representing the institution of like putting them on trial, but even that like doesn't really happen that much. It's ultimately like how is the relationship between Molly and Ernest going to suffer from this? I think that's the center of the story that he that he chose to, like what he chose to focus on. Because, yeah, yeah, it's those moments in between, which, which left me, like, really confused because she is not really condemning him for what he's, like, she obviously does, but then she still loves him. It's, like, a really complex thing that's going on. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How, how did you feel about it? What, what, what feelings did you feel? <laughs> Around their relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it feels a bit forced. You don't really get that loving side with, with with Ernest, that's the thing. I wish they built more time around that relationship to make it feel more authentic, other than just kind of just thrown together. And maybe that's how it was. Maybe that's how it it kind of was meant to be presented. Maybe that's how it it was back then, where you met this person, you marry them two weeks later, and then you know you're trying to find the the relationship. But for me, you know, Molly becomes quite emotional with Ernest later on in the film and that emotional layer wasn't there for me yeah. for, for at least 
the relationship that they built because Ernest is doing all these bad things and, and Molly is oblivious to it of, of her ultimate uh, slow demise that she she's currently experiencing around her family and then to herself. And, um, yeah, I, I... I think it's a perspective again, thing. You, you, you wish you would have more from her perspective, what she's going through. Um, yeah. We're not getting enough of that. And I felt the same way before I rewatched uh, the film. And then I noticed that, like, it does take quite a bit of time to show him as a caregiver for her. Essentially, as all of her um, siblings drop dead uh, and are killed, uh, she, he slowly becomes the only person that she can trust. And it kind of is creating that codependency that's like also reflected in the way that the system is treated, that they're not like, uh, they don't have access to their money. And I think that's kind of a nice parallel that, that, it, that it builds like narratively. Uh, and I think it's a really conscious choice that he goes for that. Uh, but but yeah, I just wanted a bit more from her. That's why like I didn't get why there was so, such a push for her as like um, the stand-up performance because she's amazing in it. I don't think she's given enough to like warrant um, these these big moments. But maybe it's I, I guess it's a bit more in the subtlety. I just don't think it it, it adds up to enough that. Um, yeah, so something's left on the table here. The, the infamous table that we got to see of the, the two of them sitting there. I know, I know when you came out of the film, you, or was it you or was it, was it Cole who said, like, <laughs> the table, <laughs> the only table that we've seen for, like, a couple of months. Um, the, the picture, the, the famous picture. dinner picture scene. Yes, yeah, the first little... Didn't everyone scene. applaud when that came on screen? It, it, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bizarre thing. Maybe if you have anything else to bring up in the story, we could talk about that. Other than that, I would touch on the the ending, um, where sure. we basically get we can do the ending. Uh, Scorsese. We can do the ending, and then we can do uh, awards. Award stuff, yes, yeah, sh- sure. We are the biggest awards podcast. We we do talk about those. We're um, so good at predicting awards on and this we, fucking podcast. We, we care. We care so much about we, that institution. We do not care, but we love guessing. And guessing is fun. Incredibly is fun. wrong. Well, speak for yourself. I'm really good at guessing. <laughs> Didn't I get more than you last Oscars? Uh, I don't think this year, but lo- uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. I swear it was this year that I got more than you. I don't. We don't have the documents anymore. You, you, you segue us short. into the conversation about the ending, and I'll go double check about the Oscars thing. Cool. I love that. Uh, yeah, uh, Scorsese talks at the end. He pops up, and I think it's been the basis of a lot of sis- uh, a lot of discussion about the film as well. I think we both came out of it in Gun, uh, being a bit confused why there's this self insertion. I think some people now that it's out in the states, where basically this is more like you know U.S. Uh, or North American uh, history that it's kind of depicted there. So obviously. They got a closer connection to it than, than we do being uh, from Australia and from Europe. I think it's, it's a nice touch overall that he comes in and basically gives us uh, the end of Moni, uh, uh, Molly uh, as uh, the, I guess, person that she was and where she was buried. And at the end, there was still an omittance of the crimes that have been committed. It was kind of a lost in history uh, intentionally. And systemically, even after, like, you got the FBI there. And for me, it was like the way the FBI came in as this uh, under J. Edgar Hoover, who's, you know, an incredible racist asshole uh, in the coming years, you know, for uh, not black liberation movement. Um, what's it called? 
blanking on the name, but all all of all of that happening in in the states where he is uh, really oppressing and going violently ag against uh, them. It was never like them as the hero that I, uh, that that come in and solve this case because it was pretty obvious what was happening. I think uh, there was just like a, a collective ignorance towards it, and it, it's pretty powerful. We we talked about it right uh, before the podcast uh, as well that like there might be. Uh, like on you said, like there's still an ongoing um, oppression and and crimes against uh, indigenous uh, native people that are still not really covered as much. Like yeah, especially in these these like towns, there's um, a lot of the time still a lot of crime, a lot of missing people, and it doesn't get the same kind of attention that maybe some other crimes get in other regions. Um, so that's just like an interesting thing to still observe that like the the plight is is ongoing of maybe not specifically the osage people uh like as much as it was like back then but it's still an ongoing struggle uh yeah let me let me touch on that because um the ending it, it was uh it's very jarring to have this fictional film and then you have this very just this radio show live radio show recording or or, or play musical whatever you want to call it at the end presentation of the ending of this film yeah and i like metanus just like the next guy but it is a massive massive creative idea for you to not show the ending of a story or the ending of a character and the mm -hmm. only reason i can think as to why you would want to do that is you want to show that that story this message that you're trying to send isn't technically over and that's the only reason I can think that other than Mr. Scorsese wanting to be in one of his movies is the, is the think that they want to present the ending of this story quite abruptly, quite abruptly, right? Mm -hmm. It's Scorsese gets up and he's like, later on, Molly would die in a grave uh, buried next to her parents and there would be nothing about the murders mm -hmm. on the grave. Yeah. And that's quite abrupt ending to her, her story. And that's all you get, right? That that that's it, right? Mm. Film pretty much ends after that. And for for people who who you know want to see it, you know the, the classic show don't tell mentality is like, why would you just say that, right? But there's a, there's a massive creative decision behind it. And the only reason I can think is that they want you to know that while the story of that is over, the actual underlining message of you know, oppression uh, to a particular group of people. And in this case, obviously the indigenous population of, of, of America, um, that oppression still exists yeah. and that story isn't over. So even though this particular one is, and Mr. Scorsese, the director, and doesn't matter, he, he, he's not playing a character in this. He's pretty much playing himself. He's pretty yeah. much saying this story's ended, but the story that the message is, like the, the message that the story is about, this one is not over yet. So for yeah. me... That's a like over time that that ending has become more and more impactful, and mm. when I do get to sit down for a rewatch because uh, my old man uh, and I are gonna go see this when he's back, um, and when I'm back and we've got some time while it's still in cinemas, it's going to be quite impactful to rewatch that, especially because I've had time to think about it a yeah. whole lot more, and that's super exciting for me. Yeah, uh, I think it's also like as part of that theater play where they basically retell the story and do like these slight little dramatic beats of like sound and mm. like the clattering um it's it's also 
part of it is the commercialization of like this pain that we now use as some sort of entertainment. I think there's definitely like something that's happening. It doesn't always need to be like a straightforward message of like, hey, don't remember this, but it's also yeah. interesting to depict it that way uh, because it is a complex thing. Like, how do you uh, highlight something like this? Obviously, we focus on um, really beloved uh, actors who play like terrible people in this. And um, I think it's like, it doesn't get as much scrutiny as something like The Wolf of Wall Street, which, you know, depicts DiCaprio is, is playing like a, a total douchebag asshole. Um, and hmm. here he's playing a murderous, uh, oblivious, loving, but also, you know, ultimately uh, murdering person. And he he plays a, a complex uh, character. And I think that's what's the most interesting part about it, like how openly we can just like follow this guy who's committing heinous crimes and how easy we kind of eat up just like the that true crime thing i think is yeah. something that like is, is an ongoing conversation that i i'm really intrigued by as well but yeah it closes well it opens interestingly i don't know how you i i, I don't love like the 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 dong the dong dong whatever the, like that opening is i think it's a bit it's an odd Go choice on. i think some people have been really loving it i think it's just kind of all right but yeah the score is sick uh overall i think it's really great uh but yeah you wanted to talk about uh its awards chances i think it's one of the the, the big uh runners i think yeah has a shot what are we thinking like, i don't know i could get like 10 nominations i think it, it's like Ooh. it's got a fair shot in in like directing and editing the um, old 10 of them eh? you know production design a lot of like uh below the line stuff and obviously for scorsese a directing nom um, is, is likely, I think, that Leonardo DiCaprio, De Niro, and Lily Gladstone um, are likely to get some kind of nomination. I wouldn't be surprised. And, uh, yeah. yeah, what else is there? I think, again, costume design, uh, production design, stuff like that. Um, editing. Editing, maybe even cinematography. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that they could get. Yeah. So we definitely know. have a... We have a Best picture lock and oh, yeah. uh, course, yeah. best best director lock mm. in. I reckon that's pretty much going to be those two. Yeah. Um, moving on to to leading actor actress, uh, Leo. Lead, yeah. Oh, yeah, I lead, think so, and yeah. then you you said that Lily it's Gladstone is going for. Lead, for yeah. All right, we'll uh we'll see Lily Gladstone go for that one. Uh, supporting role. Do you reckon anyone's going to be in there? Like a like a. De Niro. De Niro or like a Jesse yeah, De Niro is going to be in there for yeah for not act, not Jesse actor. Plemons I would be surprised if he gets in but um and do we have anybody for actress um don't think there's anyone who would pop up maybe no I don't I don't think so I mean the one that stands okay. out is Minnie no I worries. think or Rita I don't yeah. know one of her sisters no Anna 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 yeah. would be the one that I yeah. would go with uh Courage um no screenplay oh no we could do adapted screenplay because uh, it's adapted from the book. Um, yeah, that's another one you could get. I could see it like doing a similar Irishman thing where it's nominated for like most stuff, but then ends up going home with pretty much no award, uh, no awards. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, like I think I think track. that there's a uh, if we think, oh, man, who else would be nominated for for director? Yeah, Nolan for sure. There's a there's a couple more. Wait, I could go on Gold Derby real quick. Campaigning for poor things. I'm yet to see that. Uh, yeah, so Best Director currently on, on Gold Derby. They're predicting Nolan uh, likeliest, uh, followed by Martin Scorsese, 
Yogos Lantimos for poor things, Greta Gerwig for Barbie, Jonathan Glazer for the zone of interest, and then that would be the nominees that they predict. But there's also Alexander Payne for the holdovers, Justin Tritt for Anatomy of a Fall, Celine Song for Past Lives, Bradley Cooper for Maestro. And that's the top 10 right there. Uh, uh, we definitely are yeah. going to see, yeah, if I go editing Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Killers, Holdovers, Ferrari, Barbie, Air, American Fiction. There, there is a couple of different ones, but the the big consistent three is is Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Killers. I'm yet to see yep. Poor Things. Is it is it as great as what everyone is saying it is? I think it is. I think it 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 deserves yeah. the praise, and it's gonna be uh, a lot of people's favorite film of the year. But some people are also not gonna like it as much. I think Oppenheimer is more universally liked. Um, so I don't know sure. how much that affects it on the ballots that are like. You know that they're ranked. It depends on where you rank these the top films, uh, yeah. the ten films that are nominated. Uh, so I feel like it is still a bit more likely that something like Oppenheimer or Killers gets it. But Poor Things, as the recent couple of Oscars have shown, is something the weird can definitely win if a lot of people end up loving it. But yeah, lots of Shape great of films to see. Anybody? The Shape of Water. <laughs> I meant more like everything everywhere all at once. That could be a bit. Oh, more sorry. You know, so you'd say of... everything everywhere all at once is weirder than the shape of water? I think so, yeah. I'd say I'd say so. I don't think they fuck a fish in everything. Well they 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 made a guy jump on, on an, an anal bud plug. It... That's true. That's true. Yeah. But they didn't fuck a fish, Ewan. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Also, people... yeah. uh I can't find uh... Oh shit. He died. Uh oh, Discord crashed. Ah, <gasps> <laughs> Whoopsies! Didn't I didn't mean to 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 the close Discord. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, okay. In in other news, oh god, I did it again. No, I didn't. I just closed it. Oh god, I I'm so powerful with my keyboard shortcuts that like I ah, you do. Um, uh, you deleted the Oscar nomination prediction uh spreadsheet. I can't I, find it on the Google Drive. You deleted I, I did, it. I didn't do were, anything. I don't like these allegations. You definitely I deleted anything, it right? because I can't clean. find it and there, you are refusing it to, to, to let me find okay, okay. The, the spreadsheet. Listen, uh, give us your closing notes for Killers of the Flower Moon and your rating and I'll have a look if I can find last year's thing. I really like Killers of the Flower Moon. It was one of my favorite from the festivals. Not my favorite from the Cannes Film Festival, but I do believe that Killers of the Flower Moon will probably make it onto my top 10 films of the year, most likely, because uh, I think that it is a, an absolutely incredible masterclass of uh, filmmaking and, and, and an incredible feat from such a great film director, Mr. Scorsese. So for me, I'm giving it a lot of praise, but I'm. I'm only on a four out of yeah. five stars. And this might be because I only saw the film many, many months ago and I might need to rewatch it. But there's so many, uh, you and you know this, there's so many films to watch in a year. You can't go and rewatch a three and a half hour film just like that on a whim, you know? Um, unless maybe I should just watch Blade Runner twice. I could probably just watch Blade Runner 2049 twice. Would that annoy you? Instead of rewatching like a movie, I just rewatch like a really long movie. Like I just rewatch. Blade Runner 2049, I, the amount of times that I can in that film. I really, I, I don't care uh, if you watch something. Like imagining, about. imagining uh, to, to watch, uh, what was that other documentary that we watched about Amsterdam uh, in uh, World City. War II? Occupied City. 
what was that, six hours, five hours? No, it was four hours. It was about six and a half hours. I mean, we I could have watched Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, I could have watched Blade Runner like four times. Yeah. In, in one fun. sitting of Occupied City. That, no, um, but all. no, I, I think it's spectacular. Everyone should go out and see it uh, because it is an absolute blast. Did you find the spreadsheet, Ewan? I did, and you were right. You uh, actually got second place out of, like, you got the second highest score. Um, Ayo! So I got oh, 14, 14 right, and you got 17 right, so you actually beat me by quite a few points there. I don't know if, I don't know if you cheated, you little cheater, but, uh, yeah, you actually did. How could I cheat? What? Sorry, let me jump in my time machine and go and see who won the Oscars. I wouldn't rule you it and out. If I cheated I and I had that ability, I would have put money on it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there were two people who got like 18 in score or like one, one person. Uh, no, two. And uh, I only got 14, right? So uh, yeah, you were betting a bit more on everything everywhere and it paid off. So uh, Thank you. that's that. Uh, I also am- I'm currently seeing if uh, any bets are already open. For, for the next one. <laughs> yeah, he feels lucky. Um, although you are not due right now because you did almost win last time. I'm more due than you are uh, when it comes to betting. I also am at a four out of five for this one. It's I think it's definitely closer to like a four and a half than it is to the three and a half. But there was just something about it that it didn't get like to the heights of uh, some of my favorite Scorsese films, like the top six that I gave like a four and a half to which would be Shutter Island, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Departed, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Raging Bull. But it is still a really important movie. It's a great movie, and it just kind of flies by, even if it's at uh, mini-series, short-limited series length. Predictions-wise, do you think this will be one of uh, Scorsese's highest-grossing films? Previously, that was The Wolf of Wall Street for, with oh. $340 million. Do you think this movie I don't think it will, will reach money? Wolf of Wall Street level, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it will be up there. Because it's kind of been the year for three-hour-long movies to do well at the box office. Oppenheimer yeah. has shown people will show up. Um, the Wolf of Wall yeah. Street is a it is quite an accessible movie. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, I'll say that I think that a lot of people can get around it, but uh, I don't think Killers of Flower Moon is as accessible. Because it is a lot darker in subject matter. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I, I think that um, a lot of people also got familiar with Scorsese through The Wolf of Wall Street. That probably weren't. Yeah. It did have that mainstream appeal, and it did really well. I think it did another like forty million um in recorded like VOD or Blu-ray sales. Not Blu-ray sales alone. Um, so quite a successful movie overall. But uh, if you had to pair up a movie with uh. <laughs> The really long runtime, the long movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, what would you pick? How about we go with a shorter runtime film and uh, a film that I really enjoy. I know that it's kind of got mixed uh, feelings by some people, but for me, I think it's a, a, a really solid film. It's uh, Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen in the film Wind River. Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Taylor Sheridan, yeah. who is uh, of fame of uh, Wind River, Those Who Wish Me Did, 1883. Uh, also the show with Kevin Koshner that's not coming to my head right Yellowstone? now. Yellowstone? Yellowstone, yeah, that's it. I think that it's a really, really good thriller uh, and it touches on some very similar subject matter with this film, uh, that, that the sim similar subject matter that 
Killers of the Flower Moon touches on, but I think it does it in a in a way darker in a way darker light. Um, yeah. yeah, I really think this is a, a good little film to to double feature it with because it's not long and you can watch it directly afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Uh, I'm going with um, something that uh, it's not a movie for the first time ever. I'm recommending a bunch of things that aren't movies. Uh, first of all, if you want to get more of Scorsese, then check out his daughter's, his 23 or 24 year old daughter, by the way. It's crazy that uh, he had a kid at 57, but I guess men can do that. <laughs> I guess they can. And he has uh, a bunch of TikToks that, he, that she does with him and they're quite charming. Um, he's a charming old man. Um, there's also an interview that he did with uh, Timmy, with Timothy Chalamet. I haven't watched that one myself yet, but just the opening alone uh, look quite charming. Um, so if you want to get uh, another dose of Scorsese, then go check that out. I would also recommend the non-fiction novel uh, from 2017 from David Gran, um, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI, a worthwhile read. And uh, lastly, because we are talking about David Fincher's adaptation of the graphic novel of The Killer, I would also recommend that I read part of it while I was on the train to Venice where I caught the film. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, I, f I feel like you might be, uh, I guess we're on the same level of uh, David Fincher fandom, where we both really appreciate him. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion of, um, yeah, getting to talk about The Killer. Uh, but that's uh, the end of this week's show. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can, as always, much appreciate it if you leave uh, those ratings over on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and leave a like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, but you can also go check out some more content uh, this week. We uh, do have the recap of two film festivals from Zurich and Ghent. Ghent turned out to be about as long as our Venice recap. There were a lot of movies, about 70 movies, I think, that we ended up discussing. And uh, Zurich is even bigger. I talked about 100 movies. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to turn out yet because I haven't recorded it yet. There's also an interview uh, with uh, the Blackbird, Blackbird, Blackberry director uh, up on the channel. And um, we'll also have an interview with Sandra Hula from Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest soon. So a bunch of those coming onto the channel. Stay tuned for that. And uh, that's basically it. Next week, Lachlan, uh, it's time for the killer. And uh, yeah, busy, busy fall season. Even though Dune didn't start uh, its release, I think we have a pretty busy schedule with uh, pretty exciting movies that are releasing until the end of the year. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. I'm still doing my minute of silence.
that was gorgeous.